right, ta-da! Welcome, everybody, to Sharpen That X, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills and our skills as guitar players. Um, I'm Dylan Murphy. With me always is my co-host, John Gillen. That's me. Direct, direct from Colorado. Yes, and where are you located right now? I Mr. am Murphy? in sunny Galway on the west of Ireland, which will probably be sunny for another hour, but let's not talk about the weather because that's being <laughs> hacky. Um, <laughs> welcome, new listeners. We probably, I, we've gotten a lot of uh, new likes and listens on the podcast, which is tremendous news altogether. Uh, John, would you care to guess why? Oh, I don't know. It could be maybe because uh, the great Troy Grady has given us a, a, a wonderful shout out. And so thanks to everyone that's uh, responded to that. And thanks Absolutely. To yeah. We got him. We, we bagged him in a big net. And we, we got him, <laughs> you know, forced him to do our podcast. And we, we yeah. Or we'd take his, his, Brooklyn take his kitchen. thumb. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, no, he was very, very gracious. And we have made, this is our second episode in which we are putting in part two of our interview with him, uh, which went on for much longer than we'd intended because he was such a, a nice guy and very generous with his time. So, yeah, and he gave us a shout-out, and then I think we got some new listeners from that. So, you know, yeah. and community, our, synergy, all that buzzwords, yeah. All of our friends over at Guitarist Ireland, too. So Yes, yeah. absolutely. Saying that in, in, in a real Irish accent, that's Guitarist Ireland, not Ireland. But, uh, you know, yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, we're learning. We're learning yes, as we go. Well, still, still, uh, learning, still catching up. Absolutely. John, so we're going to go for, uh, it's your turn for Lick of the Week. So I'm going to listen to this to this bad boy over here, and uh, then you will, we, we can talk about it. Okay, nice. so kind of, it's sort of in, Troy Grady inspired, so I'll give you a little bit of a hint there. Ah, a bit, a bit, uh, a, a bit shreddy, maybe. Yes. Okay, so, you know, maybe there's a code which we all have to crack. Okay. <laughs> And I have it, and it is here. Okay, listening now. Oh, it's called. Okay, I know. I know this. I know this. Um, you do. This is, I know you this know is, this. It's the only song I know by him. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's cliffs. Mm-hmm. It's cliffs of Dover. It's yep. it's it's guitar hero. <laughs> Uh, that I used to play in the video game arcade. It's the first, like, you know, I still played a little bit of guitar, but I remember trying to nail this on Guitar Hero because I knew I'd never be able to play it on guitar. Uh, <laughs> yes, Eric Johnson, amazing guitar player. Yes. Uh, I, he has an instructional DVD that I, I think he spends, like, about half an hour talking about how to, how to hold a pick. And yeah. that kind of put me off listening to the rest of the DVD, uh, watching the rest of it. But uh, it, uh, Troy Grady talks about him a lot, his groupings of five and his, his everything. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, oh man, that intro is just phenomenal. What, what, what's, what would you say, is, the, is that a chorus pedal or it's like just a lot of reverb? Yeah, he's got a lot of delay on there mostly. Like that's, yeah. that's just, it's, it's so cavernous. Like instantly, particularly from that album, that whole Avia Musicum album, it's just like, it's swimming in this cavern of delay. So it's, it's very distinctive. Um, and of course, Eric Johnson's super particular about his pedals and positioning and batteries and all that stuff. So his batteries. That's yeah. I I actually got to meet him once and I kind of, I asked him some questions about his pedal board because like his fuzz face, he puts a rubber band around. Um, he had another, what, why? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Explain, John. Um, so that, and then he had another pedal that was like up on a, uh, a block 
on the pedal board. So it was really weird. So he had his pedal board and then he had this, this block of wood. And on top of that was another pedal. And I honestly can't remember what it was. And so after the show, I went up to him and I was like, Hey, so a couple of things, like what's the deal with the rubber band? And he said, yeah, well, basically the screw, because it's only one screw in the back of the original fuzz face sort of rattles around and makes too much noise and sort of disrupts the rest of the circuitry or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then he had a, the pedal on the block. He said when he was in the studio, he found when he took that pedal off the pedal board, things changed. And so he needed a way to keep it detached and sort of insulated. So the wood acted as an insulator from the rest of the pedal board. So it was kind of, kind of you look at it and you think, okay, this is a little crazy. And uh, he said, actually a lot of people sort of give him grief for this stuff, give him grief about the batteries. And he said, so I finally went to an electrical scientist of some sort. And he said, no, actually each brand has a different formula of how they make their batteries. So no, no brand uses the exact same formula. So depending upon your acid levels in the battery, essentially you're going to have a slightly different flutter, which would affect the sound of the pedal. So he felt sort of, uh, what's, what's the word, uh, justified that his assumptions on batteries were correct anyway, (laughs) but I'll be honest, my ear's not that good. So I I can't tell the difference between an energizer and a Duracell, but at any rate, that's my one Eric Johnson story. Well, you have a few stories. John, you're a very interesting man. Got a lot of stories about guitar (laughs) players. We'll talk about more of them in the future on, you know, guitarists that John has talked. Our new column. No. Anyway, pedal talk. Pedal talk. Friends, uh, John, would you like to, because I will be be doing most of the yakking in this section because we're doing a little bit of a back and forth and it's my week to go. So do you want to explain what we're doing? Okay, so this was inspired by a couple of the other things that we've seen out there. Um, but we wanted to do a cheap pedal board challenge. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge was we're going to do for can you build a pedal board for 250 bucks, 250 quid, whatever, wherever you are in the world, essentially it's 250 of your monies. Um, okay. So euros, pounds, whatever. Um, yes. Dollars for those of us over here, not Canadian dollars because that's they're Different. basically worthless. Um, sorry, <laughs> our Canadian friends. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and we just lost uh, Canada, John. Good job. Oh, good job. That's all right. I'm sure they'll tease me about my president. So, hey, anyway, gonna have that coming. Uh, yeah, we we before anybody tweets or messages at us, we are completely ripping this off from the Andertons, uh, the the pedal show. That yeah. pedal show, which is a great show, and we both watch it, and we both—it's so informative, and it's so. Sometimes I'm like, oh god, they're talking about frequencies again, but uh, and you know they're talking about how the signal signal line works, which my tiny brain cannot comprehend, but it's uh, it's it's a great show. So we're basically kind of taking that. Right, I think theirs was 350 pounds or something. Yeah. So is... we're we're this is for the. Uh, the working man, the poor college student, whatever, 200, 250 bucks. Can you build a pedal board? And I am that, somewhere in between those two things. So this is pretty. Yes, know, exactly. So I'm a broke college. Student. The, uh, the stipulations that we have on this, you have to have an overdrive uh, or a distortion, uh-huh. whatever you prefer. And then either a delay or a reverb. 
Anything okay. outside of that is up to you. Okay. Okay. I've I've made a a small list. Now I haven't you know tidied up the prices, so maybe we can keep track as we go along. Okay. But I suppose we should start on those two. So my uh, overdrive might be a bit might be a bit of a some people that know it would be like oh god. Heck yes. Uh, can't tell <laughs> if I could swear. Uh, so my overdrive, what I'm going for to get the most kind of bang for my buck is, um, I just was on the website there. There's $1 off. It was $34.99 and is now $33.99 is the Joyo FFO2, JFO2 <laughs> Ultimate Drive. Hear me out. Hear me out. Joyo. Okay. This okay. is a clone. Now, this is it was basically kind of a toss up between a few overdrive pedals. Now I have had the Green Mile before, uh, and you know the the Tube Screamer clone, mm-hmm. and I whatever the configuration was, it I was I was working with a pretty substandard amp at the time, and uh, not going to drop any names, PV, um, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah it w- wasn't great, and whatever the the Green Mile was doing, it did not sound good coming out of it. Maybe it was the guitar I was using as well, but I sold that thing. Like you know, like you know, grandma's coloring. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah. So the ultimate drive is a clone of the OCD full tone pedal, uh, which we all know it's it's a very good pedal. It's it's very yeah. it rates it rates very highly on many people's uh, lists of best overdrive pedals. I like it, but I cannot justify paying two hundred euro. For it mm. so uh, and these ultimate drives i mean i i've heard very few bad things said about them i've never had one myself but i do love the sound of the ocd and from the youtube demos i've seen it gets pretty darn close so that's that's my, that's my first go. one the delay was a bit more difficult i'll be honest with you um for a couple of reasons firstly i was trying for ages to look for something with tap tempo because me loves me some tap tempo that's and helpful. It, it really is, and I couldn't find any out there. So then I went to basically the kind of the, the go-to. I was like, okay, how much is a TC Flashback Mini? And I'd think, you know, because I'd love the Flashback, but, you know, Flashback yeah. Mini is going to be cheaper. And it was still 109 euro. Oof. So, yeah. So, and I think the actual Flashback is like 160. So, you know, you yeah. get more. F- yeah. So don't get me wrong. Tone print and everything, awesome. But I am staying with TC, but I'm going with a new pedal called the Prophet. It's a, a oh, digi- yeah. yeah, it's a digital delay pedal. Uh, I, I really enjoy it uh, from the demos that I've seen. Uh, it's quite popular. It's only 55 euro on, nice. uh, on Toman. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'd, I'd go for that. It's got a lot of five-star reviews, very versatile. Basically, it's half the price of the flashback. And you know, depending on what you're using it for, I'd, I'd go for that. Uh, it doesn't have any of the, you know, the real, you know, the massive functions or the versatility of the flashback, but you know, money. Right. So yeah, I dig it. Um, and then for my next one, I was going to go for, I'm just saying it right now. I'm going to go for a wah. Cause I feel that a wah can be. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's not my, it's going to be next to my line, but I'm going to, I want a wah and you know, you can get a, a cry baby for like 60 euro second hand now, 50 euro, 60 euro. Wow. So, throwing that in there but going crybaby new just give me a second to double check how much do you think well, they'd let's, be? let's let's do used i mean you may as well okay That's, cool yeah if if you can find something here's the thing this is you know if if you can find something used you may as well buy it used why yeah. why pay the new price if it's in good nick like then why not 
Absolutely. Uh, I'd, I'd go for that as well. So yeah, that takes me to, with those three pedals, that takes me to about 120 euro. So here's kind of where the fun begins. I'm going to steal, okay, for, um, uh, uh, for a boost pedal, I'm going to go with, I'm going to steal a couple from the show that we watched. Uh, um, okay. For the boost pedal, I'm taking the, the, the Soul Food, the Electro oh, Harmonics. Good. good. Yeah. I, this is one of these pedals I've heard nothing but good things about. Uh, it's currently, you can get one on Reverb for 61 euro. So that's bringing me up to about 180. Um, and then I've got a few more options for my kind of where I'm going to fill out the rest of it. Uh, I was going to go for, you're going to need some sort of modulation. And mm -hmm. not a fan of chorus, not a fan of, uh, well, you know, I'm, uh, phasers or flangers or whatever. Uh, my favorite modulation effect is the, the tremolo. So I mm -hmm. am going to go for the uh, trelicopter. Okay. More. Um, I'll just get up a price for it now, but uh, yeah, I, I was really impressed with it, and that's sixty euro right there. And I find that you can do a lot with you know with tremolo. Um, so I've about maybe <laughs> about maybe ten or twenty euro to spare out of all that. Yeah. So I don't know what I use batteries <laughs> or cables, uh, <laughs> yeah, or whatever. I can fill it out. I'm not going to fill out anything there. But yeah, two hundred and fifty euro. Uh, I think I've got a lot of bases covered there. Um, I think that the combination of the OCD and the soul food would create a really warm, mm -hmm. uh, overdriven tone, which is what I'm going for. I mean, if you wanted a cheap distortion, and it's weird, like the older I get, the less fond of distortion I am. Probably it's just because of the, like, my musical taste or whatever, but right. you, you could go down the DS1 or the DS2 side of it, but... I don't, I don't know. John, I'm completely aware that I'm completely out of my depth here and that your pedals next week are going to be much more impressive. So everybody tune in for that. <laughs> but I would love to hear what do you, what have you made of my choices? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Wow. The, well, just, I mean, I, I get what you're saying on the Joyo pedal, but uh, I, I have a hard time. I'd have, to, I'd have to hear it, but I have a yeah. hard time believing. Look it up. Have like you not the, heard these... Just that look, it's look it not going to just ruin your guitar tone. Like, I yeah. just, um, and I you just, know, yeah. you, listeners here know how I feel about the wah. It's, it's useful. You need it sometimes, but I'm going to tell you right now, next week will not have a wah on my board. I can promise you that because, Oh, my fragile little ego. Uh, no, yeah. You no. just, you don't need it as often as, I, I mean, unless you're either in a, 70s wedding funk bands <laughs> uh wedding funk band <laughs> a cover band that plays funk for weddings that's what okay yeah um, i know what you meant though i prefer the idea of funk weddings like that could be really cool bootsy collins is officiating you know yeah george everybody's, clinton's walking people down the aisle everybody's off their faces and yeah no i <laughs> I, I agree with you. Also, Either that or if you're Kirk Hammett. That, those are the two instances yeah, where I think you really of, need a WAP. That's what kind of put me off. Uh, yeah, there is so many crybabies on sale on adverts right now. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But um, I don't know. <clears throat> when I was playing in a cover band last year, I found it quite just even like we were doing some Sly and the Family Stone and some stuff, and it was very – I did mm. enjoy having it there. Uh, it's, it's just very – you get very it, – it's it, – 
you know, I can see why they had to hide Kirk Hammett during the making of the Black Album because it was just, you know, it, it becomes very addictive. It's kind of like your crutch, essentially. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So also people might ask, where's the tuner pedal? John, why didn't we pick a tuner pedal? You should already have a tuner. Oh my yeah. gosh. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't up for discussion, people. Uh, Tuners are cheap. Of, They're ubiquitous. Get an app on your phone, get a snark and clip it to your headset. Yeah. Like, Actually, you should already I, I, have a tuner. If you play guitar, you have a tuner. You should. I'm a complete hypocrite for this as well, but <clears throat> the, uh, the, the phone thing, like I, I, unless you're doing like a small sit-down acoustic gig like I am wont to do on weekends, don't don't go for it, man. Don't don't go for the phone. Mm. Uh, I a friend of mine was. We have an original music night in Galway called Kitok, uh, which is on every Wednesday. Really, really good way to discover new bands and you know a very good venue for original music. But one of my friends went and played it, and he had the Kitok song. He's like, "Okay, it's called the Kitok song. It's what I hear at every Kitok. Can I borrow your tuner? No, fuck off. No, fuck off." <laughs> and so it was the chorus. Um, look it up, Brian Kelly. Uh, so yeah, tuners are essential. <laughs> is there anything yeah. from my board that bear in mind for the distortion? The soul food is also a distort. Is it also like basically yeah. an overdrive pedal? I, I think I think the soul food is actually a great idea, um, mm. and particularly for the price, it's it's a pretty good sounding pedal. I think, and yes. I like it. Uh, I I love TC's reverb and delay products. I have a Nova delay. Um, that I really enjoy. It just it's it's got a lot of versatility. It sounds great. Um, I know a couple of people that use the Hall of Fame for their reverb, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's such a yeah. It's an excellent excellent pedal. There's I, I've got nothing but good things to say about TC stuff. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, that's I mean I, I think those are those are kind of the the big ones. The TC and the Soul Food. I thought were those are excellent choices, man. Yeah, I, like I, I highly recommend you to check out the other ones, not the WoW, but everything else. It's uh, there's 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 some stuff out there. So just um, to recap that for your overdrive, you had the the Joyo. I had the soul and the soul food. And the soul food, soul food. And, um, yeah. And then what and else? Then a WoW. Mm-hmm. A, a Trelicopter. The Trelicopter. That's right. That's yes. a fun pedal too. I thought that was a good call as well. So. And the uh, and the WoW at the end. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to hear your choices next week. Friends, tune in. What we'd like to do, we're basically like 60s Batman episodes. We like to leave everything on a cliffhanger. We like to leave things unfinished. <laughs> like last week, we gave you half Troy Grady so that you come back for more Troy Grady. And this week, we're giving you half of me yakking about pedals. To bring it into you, yakking about pedals next week, John. Hooray. Uh, hooray. So now we're going to move on to our second part, part two, numero dos, of our interview with Troy Grady. Uh, very exciting thanks very much for tuning in all new fans we will talk to you after this so oh, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm a little bit of a technique guru or nerd I suppose mm-hmm. when it comes to my own practicing so that was something that uh, got me really excited about your series can you just uh, for the listeners just kind of do the run through of your uh, the language in terms of pick attack everything. the language <laughs> if, yeah because I, I find it really useful as a teacher because it's it's helped me be able to communicate more effectively mm-hmm. with uh, with my students right so this is the thing we've been learning more about and, and teachers I think are a very important part of this equation because you, you can watch what elite players do but what brings this to final mile is taking this now teachers are the only the only conduit we have mm. for actually testing this stuff and then getting feedback on what works 
And until you get that feedback loop, you don't, until you get the feedback, you don't close the circle. So mm -hmm. by closing the circle, you now you've said, okay, I've tested this thing and it worked or didn't work. And here's why. And then it comes back to the teaching and then it, you know, that's how you improve. So the, um, what we've discovered, you know, this was, these were observations that I made that there are, there are certain ways you hold a pick and move it. And this is the language I think that you're talking about. Um, but it, it wasn't until teachers got involved in this and a good number of people that watch our stuff are guitar teachers about which I'm immensely respectful of that sort of viewership. Because again, it's, it's taking these observations and actually trying them. And mm -hmm. if none of this stuff works, then it's of no value really. It's fun and entertaining, but if it doesn't actually help anyone, who cares? So the, the thing that you're referencing, I think the first big breakthrough is this pick slanting concept. Right. And this was a thing I stumbled upon accidentally. And it was very simply this idea that the, one of the main reasons that a lot of people find guitar playing challenging with a pick is because it is very difficult to move from one string to another while playing fast. Yep. And it, it's, and more, I should say the speed aspect of it reveals that guitar playing with a pick is essentially highly problematic when it comes to moving from one string to another. And there's a, a sort a small number of ways, let's say, or a small number of categories of solutions to this problem that all, almost all elite players use. And some of them are, are dead, incredibly simple. And this downward pick slanting one is the first one that I stumbled across. Mm -hmm. And this is the technique that Ingve uses and Eric Johnson uses. And I stumbled uh, upon this utterly and totally um, randomly. Uh, or I, I, should cap, I should qualify that a little bit. But the bottom line is by kind of knowing that something was out there and kind of noodling with purpose, let's say, yeah. eventually you find that, oh, wait a minute, all of a sudden this click happened one day and we dram dramatized this in one of the animated scenes in our show. But the idea is that if you simply tilt the plane of the pick's movement so that it's not moving, for lack of a better term, back and forth anymore, mm -hmm. it's moving toward and away with respect to the guitar's body, right. then every other pick stroke will pull away from the guitar. And that's sort of the, the very ingenious, I think, engineering solution to how you get from one string to another. Mm -hmm. So that instead, instead of having two movements, like a picking movement that goes back and forth and an ulterior movement which jumps up and down to go between the strings, now right. your picking movement itself includes kind of a very efficient jumping movement that you can use to transfer to a new string. And this is the slant or what we call the slant, the pick slant. But what it really is, is the tilted plane of the pick's movement going, you know, on an angle like that. Right. Um, and this is, if, you know, for anyone who's listening, um, this is like a picture is worth a thousand words kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to do a thousand go, words go, to go, get this out. on the video though. Series. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But, uh, but the, the, the takeaway though is that it's, it's really simple. Lots of people do it without realizing it. And unfortunately for a lot of us, the, the best, some of the best players are the ones that do this without realizing it. Right. And it, which has made it impossible for the rest of us to divine what it was they were doing that made their playing so accurate because they, didn't, they themselves didn't know to explain this. And this was a concept that took me literally years to come around on. Like wow. I thought there was a conspiracy. Crazy. I really did. It wasn't until I started interviewing these guys and realized that they had absolutely no secrets at all. They were not guarded. Like Badio, when I interviewed him, he was one of the first, yeah. first players I interviewed of, of the guys that we had spent a lot of time, you know, pausing and rewinding. That yeah, interview, in for example, uh, changed or helped me kind of redevelop the way I would approach three note per string mm -hmm. scales because yeah, that upward pick slanting changed Hey, it makes it a whole lot easier to make that transition. 
Right. And so that, that's the inverse of the other technique. The other yeah. sort of corollary to downward pick slanting is what goes down can also go up. And that tilted plane of the pick's motion allows downstrokes to sort of jump out of the strings and go to the next string without hitting anything. And Mike just does this as a matter of course, just because of the that's way he holds the instrument. And I've interviewed him again earlier this year with the better equipment. And yeah. it's all still there. Like all the technique is there. And he's still just as, it's very clear now, especially that he's just on autopilot when he does that. He's That's not yeah. trying to do anything. He's not aware that he's doing it. And these guys are all universally thrilled to find out that they do a cool thing that they didn't know about. <laughs> but I have, there are very few of them that, that take it to the level of, oh, okay, so I, what I can do is now design a lick that works a certain way. They don't think that way. Right. A few of them have. Um, one player recently who we interviewed is from a Finnish metal band called Winter Sun. His oh, name yeah. is Temu Mantusari, and he is the most technical player we've interviewed ever with respect yeah. to his knowledge of his own technique. Oh, and he, he watched our stuff, and he realized that he was doing these things, and then he built upon it. He said, oh, if I can do that, then I can play this kind of line and this kind of line, and he's a guitar teacher. So oh. this, this is where the, the, loop, the circle gets closed. He has an, a, a whole battery of techniques, as I, I suspect a lot of you guys do, that he is used to try and teach people how to do these techniques. Yeah. For example, like um, the downward pick sliding thing, he sometimes takes a little foam block and sticks it under the, the wrist so that it forces a slight amount of wrist flexion like this when you lean oh, on the guitar. Yeah. Because this, this sort of stance, like you'll see gypsy players play this way with the, the bent wrist, mm -hmm. and it, they're almost like arching over the body of the guitar. Yep. That's a thing that upward pick slanders, quote unquote, just don't do. And they find this to be very weird and they would never play that way. And so if you have someone who walks in your door who has the typical upward pick slanting stance of kind of the forearm is tight against the guitar body, like an Aldiniola type of way of holding the guitar, you need to kind of completely reconfigure their mindset in order to be able to get them to do this downward pick slanting thing. And he's come up with all these little tricks to do that. And he's actually, it's worked. He said like, yeah, it takes wow. like a few weeks, but eventually they'll start to, they'll start to get it. And now they can actually move and play in a whole different way that they weren't able to before. So another wow. question for you then, personally, now that you've kind of uncovered all of these different- Crack the code, John. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the upward and the downward pick slanting. And mm -hmm. then you have, I can't remember the terminology where it's either forward or backward. Is oh, edge picking. Edge picking. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So now that you've, again, cracked the code of all these mm -hmm. sorts of things, do you find yourself using different techniques when you're playing or practicing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In, in fact, these up? No, without a question, and my only wish is that I knew more of this stuff 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was practicing and I didn't understand why things felt differently every day. Mm. Because the, mm. the big challenge with this is, you know how we used to, used to um, there are all these, these things that people have said historically that turn out really to be half-truths or very misleading, like, uh, oh, you have to find the way that works for you, right? These kind of weird, like, oh, play the way that works for you. Don't worry about, you know, trying to copy someone else's technique. Well, the, the problem with that is that there are about a thousand ways that work. They all right. work. And you could, if you just knew which combinations of these methods would produce techniques that actually work, then you could focus on that. But if you don't, it's like totally being blindfolded. So not yeah. knowing this stuff, like I, I have very vivid memories of even as recently as maybe, let's say 10, 12 years ago, when we were still, when I was still working on doing these interviews, 
of practicing scale playing, let's say using sweeping or economy picking, right? Where you do three notes per string, down, up, down, down, up, down, down, and you go through the strings. And I remember standing in front of a mirror, like we've often been told to do, like watch yourself practice, and playing, doing this for like hours and not understanding why at the end of the practice session I was doing something that felt utterly different than what I was doing at the beginning mm. and not knowing what it was that I was doing at the beginning. Well, now looking back, I know what it was. Or I mean, very generally speaking, it's, it's clear that I, was, I transitioned to some sort of rotational forearm thing, whereas I'd started with the deviation thing. And these are questions where you're going you're gonna to do this as a student and you're not going to have the language to describe this. You're going to be totally confused by the sensation of what you're doing. Right. And because your teacher may be telling you, oh, it doesn't matter, go do what feels natural. Now you're standing there for like weeks trying to figure out what natural even means in this context. So imagine then if you actually knew what these movements were and at the end, as soon as you start going like this, you're like, oh, oh yeah, no, I'm doing that supination thing. Why am I doing that? Hold on, no, let's go back to deviation. Done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you can at least focus on the one and try and get it to work. And if it doesn't work, then you can actually try the other one and say, oh, I'll do that one now. But, but when I was doing this, remember, I had already figured out the downward pixelating thing, the upward and the two-way, and right. I was trying to work on economy things, and I still didn't know why it felt weird until I became more knowledgeable about the actual mechanics, the movements involved. And, you know, you look down at your hand, and you, think, you say to yourself, how can you not know what you're doing? You see it, it's happening. Yeah, but you don't know what that movement is. You don't know there's two bones in your forearm. Most people don't know that. They don't know that this turning movement is actually the one bone being stationary and the other bone moving. Yeah. And, you know, and that causes a very distinct feel. If you try to play through the string that way, you're going to feel this pushing movement, especially if you try to sweep that way, which a lot of people do. And that's fine. It can work. But if you try and sweep this way using the wrist movement, this more of a deviation type movement, that's going to feel completely different. You're not going to know why. I didn't know why. So in a very long winded answer to your question is, you know, has this influenced my own plan? Yeah, absolutely. Because, now, not only do I play all these different ways, but I know when I'm doing it and I can choose to do it or not do it. And, and it, it just makes my life so much more straightforward in terms of understanding what the hell is going on. This is an incredibly complicated endeavor, this guitar pick thing. Mm-hmm. And you think you've got it all figured out and then there's more stuff. And the, the fact is the reason, one of the reasons why it is so complicated is that there are a, a hundred different ways that all work fine. But if you mix right. and match them randomly without knowing, it's trying to learn. It's like trying to learn five foreign languages at once while mixing all the words together. Yeah, it's <laughs> so totally confusing. What you guys have really done is you've built a lexicon of uh, these techniques so that people can have a reference, have a have a uh, language now in terms of talking about them. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's for me that's been a huge help. But also, like you said, it's allowed me to be able to construct licks or think about. How does my sweep picking work versus if I'm doing a three note per string or a four note per string kind of run, mm-hmm. how, does, how does that change? And, and that's, I think that's been one of the most transformative things I've seen through your series. Cool. And I guess my question also is when you try and communicate this stuff to students, do you feel like you have to nerd out to the level of the terminology or can you just be like, do this and do they, they sort of get it? Like what, what is that connection like? A little bit more the second, to be honest, because I try to keep it simple. So I'll do one thing, mm-hmm. you know, if it's downward pick slanting, I just leave it at that for a week or two mm-hmm. and then kind of come back and say, okay, what if maybe we need to get a little bit of the edge on this, or maybe if we're doing a sweep, one thing at a time, but if, mm-hmm. you, if I can communicate one thing at a time, that's usually where it mm-hmm. works pretty well. 
Uh, and they can, they, but and people respond to this. They can learn this way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Absolutely. Because like I said, the language helps. So instead mm-hmm. of do this, they don't really understand. But if you put a name on it and you give them a, a visual, then mm-hmm. they have a better concept of how that works. I just have one question for you, Troy, uh, just before, before we wrap things up. Uh, maybe a few of our listeners have never heard of your series or anything before. Could you maybe give us a video of where to start? Maybe start at the start or anything start. that you would maybe or uh, is there any particular video that you are proud of that you're like oh you should go check out this one to kind of see what i do wow um well i guess if you're into the uh, entertainment narrative thing you could probably take one of those vibe videos because those are kind of self-contained nuggets of all of our stuff right so and yeah. I, I think the second one is a good introduction to the pixel slanting concept specifically since we made it after having had some experience with these cool, to, cool. trying to teach these techniques and that's the um it's the Crossroads Diminished Fours Lick video. Um, the very snappily titled Crossroads <laughs> <laughs> Diminished <laughs> Fours <laughs> Lick. <laughs> and uh, it's basically a tutorial on uh, how to play this very intimidating diminished arpeggio that Steve Vai plays in the final climactic duel in the Crossroads movie. And that, that video has, you've got our animated thing, you've got sort of the entertainment factor there, but we actually give you very specific details on how to execute the two-way pixelanting move that makes that lick go from being a, like nearly impossible to actually doable for average people. The mechanics, cool. The mechanics cool. of it, yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And John, have you any other questions before we finish? No, up? I don't, Troy. It's been amazing. So glad to have you on here. Super excited to, to just be able to sit down and talk with you, ask some of these questions that we've always wondered. So this, is, this has been great. Absolutely. Awesome. And, uh, fantastic, and thanks so much for having me, guys. Okay, yeah, thanks very appreciate much. it. Oh, yeah. hey, uh, before we let you go, Troy, go ahead and just give a shout out to where people could find all your stuff. So Okay, sure. Yeah, you can head over to TroyGrady.com and that is kind of the central hub for all things cracking the code. Uh, and uh, the, we're actually in the middle of a major site overhaul at the moment. So within about a week or two, everything there will be uh, hopefully the best presentation we've ever done of all of our stuff. That sounds Looking exciting. Forward to it. We'll link it all in the show notes too. Awesome. Troy, well, thanks. Have a great day, man. You too. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. That was part two. <laughs> so, uh, God, what a gent. No, just honestly. Ge- oh, gent. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With a D. With a D. Yeah. If you don't get that joke, get off our podcast. I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, tell your friends, <laughs> please. John, what are, we, what are we doing now? We're doing, what are we, what have we been working on? That's our, yeah. our weekly segment. Well, yes. uh, yeah, just, just to kind of recap, thanks again for Troy Grady cracking the code thanks guys for setting it up um, yeah absolutely really thank you for the social it. media shout out we yeah. do appreciate it we are only on episode 16 so having something like this is, is, is a big deal for us um i'm personally proud and surprised that i didn't squeal more during that interview <laughs> uh, i i am as well i am as well i feel like i i didn't i i talked too much or maybe too little it's always the same you know you with your it's, your youtube guitar heroes Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Sorry for the rushing on with the show there. Uh, okay. So what, John, 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 what you've been working on? So it's been pretty busy for me. I've and been, me also. Uh, right. Of course. We've been working on our master's thesis, kind of finishing this up, but I've also been moving. I, I moved countries and then have been looking for a house and picking back up with everything going on at uh, the teaching studio at Silver Sound. And so kind of inundated with materials. So trying to find time to practice. I'm going to share a little nugget here. Maybe we can do an episode on it later. 
I've been using essentially my teaching time to help me continue to improve as well or, or work on little things that I need working on. And John, I, I am shocked and appalled. Yeah, I know everybody is. But the fact of the matter is you may as well use the time to be productive as well. For instance, when you're teaching little Susie how to strum a G chord, you don't need to sit there and strum a G chord for half an hour. Make Susie strum the G chord, and then you work on your Mixolydian riffs or whatever it is you're working on. Uh-huh. You know? So, or even your just your latest pentatonic riff or turnaround or whatever it is. You know, have her play the G chord, and you just tell her that's great. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna play something over it, so we're jamming. And you tell her that this is what you do, and this is how you jam, and and it basically is. There's a lot of truth to that too. So there you go. You're basically. Yeah getting something out of it as well. Yeah, I'm digging, digging that as well. It's just uh, also it leaves your students kind of impressed at like your level as well. Right. Like, you want to oh. be careful that you don't spend the whole time noodling because then they walk yes. away from the lesson like all he did was noodle the whole time. But Yeah, look you know, how great I am. Yeah. Give her four bars or eight bars or whatever and just be like, okay, you're going to strum and I'm going to work on this riff that I've been working on and, and we'll, we'll play together. And that's, that's how, you, how you frame it. You frame it that we're playing together, and then you stop and go, okay, let's try a different strumming pattern. Let's talk about this. Let's move your fingers around a different chord, whatever. But you're using the time to benefit yourself, too. And I've found just from teaching that I learn, if, if I'm willing to, I can learn just as much in a lesson as they do. Now, that said, I'm not learning the same thing, obviously. I'm not learning more about a G chord, but I'm taking something from that G chord. What are the arpeggios I could play over it? Whatever, you know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. What are the different scales I can use in this chord progression or something like that? So, or even working on your speed or articulation or vibrato, you know, pick a technique and work on it with your student. That helps you a ton. And it it helps you figure out how, how you learn and how you think about the guitar as well. So anyway, that's what what I've been learning, I guess, not necessarily working on, but (laughs) doing. Never stop learning, John. There you go. So what about you? you? What what have you been working on in all your busyness, all your free time? Oh, God, the the busyness is taking over. I've been doing a few things. One thing, I I was watching this BBC uh, documentary about members of the band, and there was, I I don't know what it's called, but I I was watching it a while back, and basically every week they took, like, the best frontmen of all time and the best guitarists and the best drummers. And I think like there was like the last episode was the best, the other guy. And it was based in, it was basically like bass guitar players and, uh, you know, percussionists and keyboard players were all lumped into one episode, but it had got a lot of different, uh, perspectives on the bass and, uh, you know, don't switch off. Listen to what I'm doing here. Uh, but Richard Hawley, a really good singer songwriter was his opinion on bass players were that, uh, that bass guitarists should be uh, bass players should be electrified if they ever play above the fifth fret uh, on their bass. Uh, <laughs> he was like, "You don't need that high range on the bass; just go from one to five. Uh, and I was like, "You know, ba- technically you could," but it kind of got me thinking. I was playing a cover gig the other day, and I was playing with songs I didn't really know, and I found myself because I hadn't really gone through my shapes. Uh, for example, if I was playing a song in B minor, I go up to the seventh fret and I basically use that, you know, pentatonic box one. So I was like, oh God, I'm going into like, you know, very you know early stuff. So what I've been doing is basically trying to play with some backing tracks, but play within the first five frets uh, for like basically kind of figuring out licks and stuff. Does this make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great idea. I love it. 
yeah, it's basically so that I'm basically keeping whatever chord comes up next, I can work out the arpeggio, but mm. it has to be like, you know, even if it's like something awkward, like B7 or whatever, uh, rather than going up to the seventh fret, keeping it within those first five frets and working out the notes there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of something I've been just working on, basically keeping the shapes, uh, you know, not, not going to the, the, the same old stuff that I would do before, you know? Um, yeah. which I think is, is important. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's basically what I've been doing it as for our last next segment, what, what we've been listening to, we could make up theme tunes for these segments, but that's not, you know, we have a, we have a, we have a system. Can, and a soundboard. Oh wait, no, we still don't no. have a soundboard. I, I, I have mixed thoughts about getting the soundboard. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's two morning DJ. Um, yes. As, yeah. as, <laughs> Aruga. um, <laughs> We now have footage of me saying that, so we can always use that again. Uh, that, that Just wait for the YouTube channel. Of me saying that. Uh, so I've got a couple of things that I've been listening to. As you know, I went to see Brian Wilson uh, play. Um, so cool. His, Do yes. you tell us a little bit about that. Just tell okay, us so, about who was there, what it was like, etc. Yeah, so basically how it worked was it's the 50th, 50th, 5 oh my gosh. Uh, anniversary of Pet wow. Sounds. Yes, and I went to see him performing Brian Wilson and his all, well, not all-star band, but his very, very, very accomplished 10-piece band performing Pet Sounds in its entirety, as well as a number of Beach Boys hits in Galway oh, there yes. on Sunday. And this wow. is a big deal for me, um, about seeing like like a, an act of this caliber in what is essentially my adopted hometown that I've been in for the bones of the last 10 years. Uh, you know, so that was that was really, really cool. And just the whole experience, you forget, like, Brian Wilson is not in the best shape mentally, but he just, it really comes down to how good his songwriting skills are and his arrangement skills. And, like, every instrument was accounted for. You had, oh, the, the, you had the theremin during Good Vibrations. You had, like, all the, the bicycle bells and car horns and everything that were being performed on stage in front of you. It was absolutely amazing. Can I, uh, can I interject there real quick? Please. So Pet Sounds is, is absolutely amazing. And I forgot that you were going to this show. Uh, mm. I, I remember you had told me about it, but in my thesis work, I've been working on talking about these, these bedroom producers that essentially control mm. every aspect. And I was trying yeah. to think of another time when this happened. I mean, who else, who else has done this as an artist? Uh, been the composer, performer, arranger, producer for everything. And, Basically going all Orson Welles. And, and yeah, exactly. But the only the only thing I could think of immediately was Brian Wilson and obviously Pet Sounds. It was, and, and so that was the first thing that came to mind. And I went back and listened to it. And it's such a phenomenal record. It still stands up. It's just absolutely. amazing. Amazing arranging, amazing production, amazing uh, songwriting, everything in it. It's just, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I went back last night. Well, I never didn't go back. I, I went back a few years and watched that film that came out a few years ago called Love and Mercy, which is uh, the song they finished with on the night, but also the, the film starring Paul Dano and John Cusack as Brian Wilson in both stages of his career. And there's a lot of footage of them 
a, a good chunk of the movie is them making pet sounds and using actual stories that were from the, the sessions. Wow. But you see, you see all these like sixties musicians, you know, clearly they're actors be, you know, playing the sixties musicians, but they, they, they got the wrecking crew in, which were this, yeah. you know, the LA sessions. We and all of those musicians sometime. Have you seen that documentary? Yeah, it's an amazing documentary. And Tommy it's Tedesco crazy. is like one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Yeah. So. He just turns up on everything. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really really cool just to see all these you know sounds being made uh, so fastidiously as well. But you could tell like he had this vision and that. And apart from that, a uh, great album I was listening to this week. Uh, trying to listen to some country guitar, but not listening to the usual kind of suspects. I went back to uh, an album called Jerry and Me by Chet mm. Atkins, uh, <sighs> which is him and him and Jerry Reed. And I was really surprised, like not only how virtuosic it was, but how melodic. It's basically like it's like a kind of a, a standard folk album with say, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but it's just all guitars playing this. And they do like, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water and a few other kind of pop songs from the time, but all on two acoustic guitars and just the playing is it's 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 out of this world. It's really, really good. Um so yeah, that's what I've been listening to. How about you, John? Um, I've been kind of uh, running on burnout from all my thesis stuff. So for, nice. for our new listeners, uh, you can go back and check it out. But basically, I'm writing a thesis on instrumental rock slash metal. Listen to previous episodes, get the whole story on that. But um, kind of burnt out on the people I have been listening to. So I went into uh, So I Watch You From Afar. Kind oh, of getting into finally more took of their my stuff. advice. Not finally. I've talked about them on the show before. <laughs> Come on. But yes, uh, nevertheless, Dylan introduced me to them. Um, and they, they're, uh, I, I really enjoy it. You know, it's, it's instrumental for the most part. Like that, you know, they'll have a chorus, yeah. which is usually about five words repeated over and over. Like uh, big things yeah. do the remarkable has something exactly, like that yeah. to it. Um, and then a lot of chanting. Yeah. Yeah. Chanting would probably be a better way to put it. And, and then, you know, what's a uh, set guitars to kill. Oh yeah. It's, you know, that's, it's such a fun song. So they have fun songs. They're, they're an instrumental band from Belfast, correct? Yep. Okay. And, but their, their stuff is just, it's most of it's pretty upbeat. It's fun to listen to. It's, it's not necessarily overly, overly technical it's not virtuosic necessarily but it is technical no. would that be a good way to no. describe it exactly i have i've seen them i've seen them so i watch you three or four times now and there's been nothing apart from like from playing drums guitar and bass i've never really seen anything where i'm like oh my god that playing is amazing the drummer is fantastic really really good yeah but the yeah as far as the whole like uh, technical skills i rarely see anything that i'm like oh i couldn't do that you know Right. The, I, think the, the I think the thing that makes it interesting is the way they come together as a band. Absolutely. And, and, and there's a lot of, yeah, that's where the skill comes in. And, and there is some technical aspect of getting those two guitars to do what they do with the drummer and the bass player. And not Huge. to mention yeah. their effects boards are massive. And then how they work those. We've talked about it before. They have three or four delay pedals on each board and how they work Absolutely, those together yeah, yeah. And, and some, some awesome things. Um, we should see if we can get them on the show. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, I, they, yeah, they're actually, they're playing um, New Year's Eve in my local pub in Galway this year. Um, 
yeah, so I saw them New Year's Eve 2011 or 2010. And I, the last time I saw them, I showed up wearing that T-shirt from you know that tour. And they were like, oh, my God. I met them backstage <laughs> after the show. I have the back having a fag. Uh, but, yeah, they are such a good band to ring in the new year with. Uh, Matthew, if you're listening, you should go. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, I suppose that's us for this week. Uh, friends, we're hoping to have more interviews uh, you can check us out on all the social media platforms. I did not tweet about the Troy Grady uh, thing because of thesis. I'm blaming the thesis for everything. Yeah, uh, aren't we distracted all? With that, aren't we all? Uh, but yeah, we've got a, only a certain amount of time left. We've only got like four or five more episodes before the thesis is done. We might have to skip the last week in August because we'll be crying a lot. But <laughs> you know, it'll be it'll be coming together. But yeah, I think this is this has been fun, John. Good. Yeah, I, this is good episode thanks to all our new listeners and yeah look forward to hearing your pedal picks next week and please tweet at us uh, facebook us uh like share subscribe all that stuff uh tweet at us if you disagree with what we say uh you know how we yeah. can improve the podcast what you'd like us to talk about yak about uh i may not have all the the answers to all your questions but john does so yeah, ask <laughs> oh him great everything. no pressure Tw- yeah yeah facebook him leave me alone um yeah <laughs> all right friends stay sharp <laughs>